Pray for you, Lee, though, that you have good success. And uh, we'll pray for Carrie. <laughs> we'll pray double for Carrie. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse number 11 here, and we're going to talk about um, being Gentiles in the flesh, how Paul said that's what we were in the uncircumcision, right? We're going to talk about those two terms here tonight, kind of finish up what we didn't finish up a few weeks ago when we talked about proper biblical remembrance and the uh, proper use of your mind in remembering things, what God would have you to do with that. Some of you may have never had a struggle with any of those things before in your life, so it's not something that really, you might not understand why somebody would, that would be an issue. And I've not heard a lot of preachers preach about it either, but I know it from experience. I know preachers that have been through things and, uh, you know, different things like that preach on it because they have people that have been through those things too as well. So that's, if you haven't listened to that or you weren't here for that, go back and listen to that one. I think it'll help you. Uh, it, proper biblical remembrance and, and uh, reflecting on things the biblical way, the way God wants you to, and not like letting your mind just go and drift off into things. And it's, it's disciplining your mind. You know, as, as a Christian, we don't only, we're to try to discipline our bodies, we're to try to discipline our hearts and, and be disciplined spiritually and physically, but also mentally. You can't just let your mind float around and go. You have to discipline your mind, and your mind has to be uh, subject to Christ. It has to be subject to, every thought needs to be into obedience and, and, and subjection to Christ. So you can't allow your mind to go off into things and to do that, whether it's lustful things or whether it's evil surmisings. It doesn't have to always be like perverted things. That's what people don't always understand. They think when they think of something like your thoughts being bad, they think of it as, you know, maybe maybe sexually perverted thoughts or something like that. That's that's part of it. That's not all of it though. There's other things. There's evil surmising, there's letting your mind go and thinking evil and negativity bias where everything is just a negative slant and you allow your mind to continue on like that. That will affect your actions. That'll affect what you do. It'll affect how you live your life if you let your mind do that. You're not allowed to evil surmise about people. If you don't know, then don't think it. Don't continue to dwell on it. If you don't know any of those things, if those things aren't true that you know for a fact, then it is wrong for you to continue to think about those. Does that make sense? Because it's not true. It's not verified. It's not, you don't know it. You're just like evil surmising about it. That's not healthy. It's very unhealthy to do. Uh, as a Christian, and even just character-wise in your life, you will treat people differently by the thoughts you form about them if you allow yourself to do that. Shouldn't do that, okay? That's, that's, that's not profitable. So I'm not going to go down that road again, but I just want you to just think about that and, and remember, the, remember those things. Disciplining your mind is extremely important in this Christian life. It's just as important as any other aspect of discipline, right? Uh, nothing, you're not allowed to let your physical body go and to do whatever you, you want to do, your hands to do whatever, get into everything, or your eyes or anything else. You're not allowed with your mind either to let your mind go. You disciplined your mind and you don't, you don't do that, okay? All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh. Now, that's a distinction. He's talking about something there distinctively. He's making, he's making a comment there. He's, he's, he's categorizing lost Gentiles, he's categorizing what they are, Gentiles in the flesh. By the way, we are Gentiles still in the flesh. 
in the sense of wherever we come from or some of us would be or whatever, but that doesn't, but, but spiritually speaking, it was what Paul's talking about. Somewhat how that relates spiritually now in this time, in our, in our time period, how it, in Christ, it doesn't matter what you are, right? In that sense, where you come from in that, it doesn't matter. But it, does, it, it doesn't mean there's not any distinctions, and we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. But wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Father, Lord, we pray you bless us now as we go through the scriptures. Help us and guide us through this book of Ephesians. Lord, we thank you so much for all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So number one, we are Gentiles in the flesh. Again, this is every position of every individual outside of Jesus Christ. It proves that there is no salvation apart from active saving faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care where you come from, whether you're Jew or Gentile, bond or free, you're without Christ. When you're not saved, you don't have Jesus. You're outside of the Lord. And that's really, you could sum up the Gentiles, you could sum up that life being without Christ. That's, that's really what he was saying. It also shows the greatness of God's free salvation. Paul begins by instructing the saints at Ephesus to remember what they were before salvation. We won't double down on this, but we'll just, we'll, we'll just make a few comments about it. This is an important meditation. The believer must not forget what he was. You must never forget that. You must, you must never take your position in Christ for granted. You must remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. You were once the uncircumcision. You were once enemies of God. Every man is an, is an enemy of God outside of Christ. Every man, woman and child, is an enemy of Christ, or is an enemy of God outside of Jesus Christ. They're at enmity. Why? Because that, the nature, our nature is at enmity with God. We have a fallen nature. And it is at enmity with God. It is, you are the enemy of God outside of Jesus. And that's why, that's why when we go preach to these people on the streets, they, they get angry. Why? Well, shouldn't they? Well, why wouldn't they? They're enemies of God. Of course they're angry. They didn't like the preaching of God's word. They don't like you telling them that Jesus is the only way. <laughs> why? Well, because they want to go their own way. They're enemies of God. Just like we all were. We were enemies of God. That's the way it is. Properly remembering what we were before salvation will help us not to be proud and not to take for granted all God has done in us. As you're, when, you, when you get saved by the grace of God and get the Spirit of God in you, as God, as God grows you in the faith and you, you continue to grow, you won't take for granted what God has done for you. The fallen man's state is a terrible one. Sometimes we forget how wicked we were, how diabolically evil we were, apart from God. The fallen man, the man's state is a terrible one. We are by nature, remember what Paul said, we are by nature the children of, we were by nature the children of wrath. By nature. But Paul covered that already in Ephesians 2 at the beginning of it. He reminds us again, he tells us, remember, the proper use of the memory will help you to have grace for lost people when you remember what kind of fool you were before salvation. Sometimes we get a little high-minded and we forget how much of a fool we were before we were saved. Amen. How much we 
we are at enmity with God. How much we lived in our own lusts and wickedness. We, we forget about that. So then we, we can become proud and arrogant and think that we're better than other people. And remembering what Jesus saved you from, remembering what he saved you unto will help you go a long way to you having grace for others and not writing people off because they fail, right? Or they're, or they're fallen. How evil and foolish we were and how Christ had to die on the cross for our sins and be buried and rise again from the dead that you might have life. We were Gentiles in the flesh. We all were. That signifies some wicked behavior and living that life in the flesh. And for Gentiles, the number one sin besides that of idolatry and heathen worship were sexual sins. There still are. There still are the rampant sins, right? Sexual sins, rampant sins of the Gentiles. The Gentile non-Jewish nations were riddled and still are today with sexual sins of fornication. It's, the one, it's one of the number one end time sins of destruction that will destroy a people. That fornication covers all sexual sins. Man has taken something so beautiful and wonderful as the marriage bed meant to cool the flames of lust in a lawful way and turned it into a bunch of dogs in heat that cannot control their animalistic desires and passions like brute beasts full of evil concupiscence. I'll explain what that word means. Hebrews 13, 4. By the way, when you see a word and you're reading in the scriptures and you see a word and you don't know what it means, don't assume you know what it means. Go find out what it means. You might be reading the entire verse wrong because you assume a word means something that it doesn't mean. So you might misapply the entire scripture. I don't want to read you a word like concupiscence without explaining to you well, what in the world does that mean? Hebrews 13.4, we'll get to that word though. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. It is God that sets apart that judgment. If man lets it go on this earth, God does not let it go. Except, except if someone is born again. If they are not saved by grace, if they are not born again, God will judge the whoremonger and the whore and the adulterer. Even the saved, if they commit such sins, God will deal with them. No, no Christian gets away with sin. We don't. Jesus paid for our sins. He paid the consequences for our sins. But there are still, there are still chastings of the Lord that come from that. The marriage bed, as it was meant to produce children and to have a family, they've turned it into porn and cheap one-night stands. That's the Gentile life. That was many of our lives without Christ. That was my life without Christ. One person said it this way, that you may ever see and feel your obligations to live a pure and holy life and be unfeignedly thankful. That means not fake. Unfeignedly thankful to God for your salvation. Remember that you were once heathens in the flesh. This remembrance is to produce thankfulness to the Lord for sparing you with the gospel and saving your soul and taking you out of the depths of your depraved nature. 
no longer subject to your depraved and fallen nature. Amen. One of the things you'll learn the longer you're saved is what, from what God has delivered you from. Not to be controlled by the flesh. Not to be driven by the flesh. Not to be led by the flesh always. But to be strengthened by God. And led by the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. That's what, that's what he's telling us to remember. This remembrance is to produce that thankfulness. He again exhorts the Ephesians to remember that what their character had been before they were saved. This consideration was fitted to convince them that they had no reason to be proud. You, have no, you and I have no reason to be proud because we have not fallen to the things that others have fell to. We have reason to be thankful. Do you see the difference? Pride is very different than thankfulness. Because thankfulness is from a heart that realizes they received something from someone else that they did not do themselves. Pride is thinking that I kept me. Amen. See the difference in response? The, the, the difference in one is I'm proud because I haven't done this. And it'll show if somebody's proud or thankful. If they're thankful, they'll be humble. If they're proud, then, then they, 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 won't, they, won't be, they won't show any humility at all. They'll really think that they got themselves where they are. That's a dangerous thing. He afterward points out the method of reconciliation that they might rest with perfect satisfaction on Christ alone and not imagine that other aids were necessary. That's why he talks about, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He says that to them to remind them, and then he goes into verse 11, and he reminds them, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh. Remember what you were, Gentiles in the flesh. This, with what follows, in the next verse, the apostle puts the converted Ephesians in mind of, in order to magnify the grace of God in their conversion, and to humble them in a view of their former state and condition, and to teach them that they could never be saved by any works of theirs. I'm telling you, you might think, well, I would never think that. No, not, not, in, not in a doctrinal statement. You would never think that. Of course, you know salvation is by grace alone. And you've lived that, and God has done that work in your heart. But what I'm saying is it's so easy in our reaction to people at times to forget that. We can become proud very easily. Then God has to humble us to remind us that, you know what? If it wasn't for me, you would be there. Amen. Right? If it wasn't for God... If it wasn't for grace, you would be in the same place they are. That's why he tells us to take heed lest we fall. Right? right? Don't look at somebody that falls and, and, and get joy out of that. 
I've had people call me about people that made videos about me and hate me and everything else and something happened in their ministry or their life or to their children or something. They got exposed for some bad thing and they called me up and I think they kind of thought I was going to like be happy about it. And I said, well, I'm sorry for them. That's terrible. I'll pray for their children. That was my response to them. Why? Well, I don't want anything bad to happen to those people. I don't. I don't care what they said about me. That doesn't have anything to do with their children or anything else. I don't want to see them fall. You ought to hate to hear that. You shouldn't be happy to hear that, right? You should be broken over that and say, Lord, please help them. As soon as I heard it, I felt bad for them. I told the person that, that contacted me, I said, well, I feel terrible for them. And people ought not put that stuff online about kids falling and stuff like that and recording them and putting it online and doing all that. Why would you do that? What in the world is wrong with you people? See, I've had people lie about me and do things like that and put stuff online, lie about me and all that kind of stuff. I, I, wouldn't, want, I, I wouldn't do that to people. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want them to fall like that. I don't want them to get hurt like that. I don't want their children to get hurt like that. I don't want to see them go through that. Why? For, that's, that's revenge. That's vengeance. I just said, well, I'll pray for them. That's terrible. And those people ought to be ashamed of themselves putting that online and doing that to those kids anyway. They're kids. Kids will make a lot of mistakes in life. You don't destroy their whole life because they make a mistake. They sin. It's sin. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not condoning sin. What I'm saying is you don't destroy their life over that. You're trying to salvage people's lives. You're not trying to destroy them. That's, not, you're, you're not, that's the ministry is about reconciliation. It's not about destroying people. It's not kicking people when they're down and, and, and ruining their lives. That's not, that's not the gospel of reconciliation. That's vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. He'll take care of it. It'll all get worked out at the judgment seat. So he goes on to their state, uh, talk about their state and condition. They had been very blind and ignorant, were Gentiles that knew not God. That's who they were. Particularly, he would have them call the mind that they were in times past Gentiles, which is not so much regard the nation and country they were from. For in that sense, they were Gentiles still, but their state and condition that they were in. He's saying they were without the law. They were without the light of Israel. They were without the truth. They didn't have the truth. They were lost. They weren't Jews. They didn't have the gospel given to them as the, new, as the Jews did in Jerusalem at that time. Also, they did not have the law. What separated Israel from the world was the law of God. It is what separated Israel. They had the law given to them. They had the oracles of God. Right? That's what Paul said. They had the oracles of God. That's what separated them. By the way, what separates you is the blood of Christ from the world. That's what separates you is the blood of Jesus. The New Testament and his blood. That's what separates you and I. Amen? And in that is the law fulfilled in Christ. Right? So it's, not, it's more than them having the Old Testament law. We have that in Christ and the New Testament in his blood. Because Christ fulfilled it. Amen. Right? So there's no need for us to. We, we're to live holy, which goes beyond the law, by the way. Oh, yeah. The grace of God goes beyond the law. 
goes beyond the law. It's, it's a matter of the heart intent. Amen. They had been very wicked and pro and wicked sinners of the Gentiles, and they had been Gentiles in the flesh, not according to the flesh or by their birth, for so they were. But in times of their unregeneracy, they were carnal-minded, the things of the flesh, walked after it, fulfilled the lusts, and did the works of it. One of those was fornication that Paul was constantly dealing with. That. I want you to picture something, okay? We, we lose sight of this, okay? <laughs> the Apostle Paul is preaching. There are Jews being saved. There are Gentiles being saved. There are churches being planted. All these people are going together. Paul was given the revelation of the mystery. What is that? What's the mystery? It is that Jew and Gentile alike would be in one body by salvation, by grace through faith, by the Holy Ghost of God in one body, that they would be together. You don't understand the impact of that. Like, because you weren't around at the time and neither was I. We weren't around at the time where it was like severe enmity between those people. All of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some verses here tonight that prove that, that show that. It was a, I mean, and then they get saved and all these people are looking at each other like, well, I don't eat pork. He's cooking ribs now. <laughs> and they smell good. <laughs> right? They're, they're, they're all in the same place. They, they didn't come from the same background. So what's Paul doing here? See, in your mind, you're like, well, yeah, we just show up to church. I mean, we all pretty much I mean, agree and get along with most things. I mean, we have slight disagreements with things, but I mean, things naturally, I mean, culturally and everything else, it's not a whole lot different. I know. But Paul's literally laying down instructions to them that they don't know how to conduct themselves. They didn't have this. He was writing it. They didn't have the instructions of how to live. So naturally, the Jews are like, in the, in the Ephesian body, they're going to be trying to follow the law. And the Gentiles are going to be like, well, hey, we're saved by grace, man. Pass the pork. So that's, <laughs> I mean, there, so there's this, how do we live? And Paul's telling them. He's telling them. He's laying it down. He's given the revelation of the mystery from God of how the body is supposed to work. How's the church supposed to work? They didn't know. They didn't know. But in our minds, we're like, well, yeah, they just, you know, they just knew what to do. No, they didn't. They didn't know what to do at all. So that's why, anyway, I'll get to, I'll get to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. Fornication was definitely an issue with the Gentiles. It is reported commonly there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. 1 Corinthians 12.2 You know that you were Gentiles, excuse me, you were Gentiles, carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. So he's, he's explaining who the Gentiles are. He's explaining what they're doing. This is what you did. You, knew, you know that ye were Gentiles, carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. They're led by the spirit of the Antichrist, right? The spirit that now worketh. He just said it in Ephesians 2, didn't he? The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the spirit they had. So what they do? They were carried off in these dumb idols, but you got saved. 
That's what he says to him. In Galatians chapter 2, verse number 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now that's important because Galatians, he's, he's going after the Judaizers that are going through the churches and telling everybody they got to be pork abstaining Jews. Among other things, keep the Sabbath and get circumcised. So there was a war. There was a problem. There was a, stir up, a stirring up in the churches that was causing quite a, quite a problem. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Remember, that's how they walk. That's how lost people walk in the world. They walk in the vanity of their mind. That's, right? He goes on to explain what that is in 18, Ephesians 4, 18. Having the understanding darkened. They don't have good understanding. Lost people have very bad understanding. Very bad. That's why when you're going out and you're trying to learn things and you're trying to do all this, you young, you be careful, you young man, who you learn from, who you listen to out there. Because all these lost people have all these great ideas, but why don't you make sure they line up with the scriptures? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> some of it ain't, it's not going to. It's going to be foreign to the scriptures. Oh, it sounds great. Wonderful, but is it biblical? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Because if it's not, I don't care how much success they have. They're a bunch of losers. How's that for you? I'll say it again, just so you understand it. I don't care how much success they have. If they don't follow the scriptures, they're a bunch of losers. Because success is judged by God, not by you and not by man's standard. It's judged by what God says in his word. That if I'm successful by what God says, then I'm successful. If I followed his word and I've obeyed him. I don't care if they make 10 times the money you do and have all this other stuff. It matters not. That's not how success is measured. You better, you better ditch that, that uh, attitude. Otherwise, your, dark, your understanding is going to be darkened. If you think that's success, it's not. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Wow, he nails them, doesn't he? Because of the blindness of their heart. There's all kinds of internet influencers out there, right? Just pick one. They have all this advice that they're giving all these people and all this other stuff. And, and, and you look at it, it's like, <laughs> I can't believe people follow this stuff. Because the Bible's just too simple, right? It's just it's too simple. You just read it. all, oh, okay. No, I want something a little fancier than that. Okay. Well, you'll get man's wisdom then, and you'll get destroyed. He says, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness. Those are sexual desires, lustful desires, wickedness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. By the way, I'm going to say this to you. If anything, whatever it is, if it's whether it's money or in finances or time or whatever, if your financial guru or financial planner or your own financial planning causes you to be greedy with God, that ain't good. 
That's not good. To be greedy is not is not to be biblical, right? It's it's not. I and I, to be to be greedy and not not to not to serve the Lord with your money and, and and give to God's work and or help others, help your brother or sister that needs it or anything that's in trouble or anything like that. If if your financial planning causes you to be greedy, you better ditch your financial plan. It's not a good one. Or you better at least tweak it so it comes in line with the scriptures, right? Because, because it shouldn't make you greedy. It shouldn't be an excuse for you to, to be a legalist with God. There's one area that I've noticed that people can be a legalist with, and that's all of us, by the way. We can be a legalist with, and that's giving to God. <laughs> we can be a legalist. We can be like, we'll give right to the dot of what we have to or we should do. Now, I know for sure that I don't do that with myself. <laughs> Amen? I don't do that with myself. Right? But I might just do it like we were talking about the other day, to love our wives as ourselves. I, man, I can, I can spend money real easy on something I want like that, or I think I need like that, but when it's my turn to do that for my wife, it's like, yeah, that whole love your wife is yourself thing? Well, yeah, that doesn't count here. <laughs> I can explain that away. I'm just telling you that's the nature of, 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 of being a man, of, of human, of all of us, man or woman, right? We can be legalists when it comes to some of those things. Right? I, I'm, not I'm not saying this because I'm broke and I'm in trouble and I need you to fill the coffers up with money here. I'm not, I'm not saying that. God has always taken care of me. All right, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying that for our own understanding, not to be like the world and be like, you know, penny pinching on God, but liberal with everything else. That's what I'm saying. Because if you're, if you're penny pinching with God, then there might come a day where you can't be liberal with everything else. Because God's blessed you and you've really not shown any appreciation for it. And guess what? I don't know that. I'm not pinpointing anybody. I don't know that about anybody. I'm just, I, I'm just preaching it because I know what, what I'm like as a man. <laughs> right? I know, I know what, our, what we're like as men and women and people, what we can be like, right? So just think about that. Hey, Amen. That was free. I won't even charge you for that one. It's awesome. Huh? Man. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be liberal and not charge you and right not be greedy. So Mark 7:21. Jesus is talking about the natural man's heart. We're talking about Gentiles in the flesh. This is all applicable here. He says, For from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Man, he didn't leave anything off that list. <laughs> all, the, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Man, ouch, right? So I can't blame like the lady down the road that's not dressed right, or I can't blame this situation. I have to, it's my heart, right? Now, she's wrong for doing whatever she's doing. But the point is, is that 
you and I have to understand that, because some people wonder, well, where'd that evil thought come from? Well, two places, either you or the devil. Both of them are bad. So just cast them both down. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to spend a lot of time figuring that out. God says you're, the natural man's heart is rotten as hell. So don't spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. Though. Repent and move on. That's, that's the best way to deal with any of those things. Do not harbor, harp on those things, but move forward. Anyway, that lasciviousness and uh, also evil concupiscence, those other things, they give the idea of looseness, irregular indulgence of animal desires, wantonness, lustfulness. Jesus says it comes from the heart. See, that's the one thing that people can go through every 12-step program they want to. They can go through a 12-step. Man, there's a 12-step program for everything out there. I mean for everything. What do you think about them? I think they're stupid. I think they're a bunch of psycho babble from hell. That's what I think. Yeah, and they are a lie. That's what I think about them. That's why I preached against AA so many years ago. Oh, there's that higher power. Yeah, uh-huh. Which one? Which one, you bunch of cultists? <laughs> anyway, go back and listen to that, if you, if you don't remember that, from many years ago. I don't know what I called it, but it was something on AA. And it really, it really got a lot of people listen. They, they listened to that one. Uh, not as bad as the Greek Orthodox one. That made a lot of people mad. But the, the AA one, that was the founder of AA. He was a cultic. They, they're all a bunch of devils. Anyway, wh why? Because, see, e even the Baptists, they thought of, they thought of a program to be like AA because they wanted to get on the 12-step program. So they even thought of one. So they called theirs Reformers Unanimous. Is that right? Unanimous? Unanimous nonsense. Um, I, uh, they tried to get me to go through that program. I got saved back in 2000. Two, um, and right before I got about a few months before I got married, I got saved. And I, the pastor there at the church, he was really big on this. He wanted to bring this program in, and he started bringing it in. They, they started, and the guy, I just looked at it. I was like, well, what's the point? Like, if you get saved, you get saved, right? Your life changes. You walk with God. All this, by the way, all it is is an excuse for a church not to disciple its own people and to put put people in a second tier program that come in that are drug addicts that are, and I'm supposed to expect less out of them because they're drug addicts or they're recovering drug addicts. I don't expect less out of you. I expect you to do what a child of God does. I expect you're going to have some problems along the way. I expect that you're going to have some challenges along the way. You're going to have some setbacks along the way. You're going to have to grow in the Lord, but you're, you're going to be under the same preaching and the same requirements as everyone else in the church. We're not going to have a second step where people go off and smoke cigarettes outside and do all this other stuff and have their, yeah, they had a little cigarette bucket outside. These, they had all these fundamental Baptist churches having cigarette buckets outside and dudes standing around smoking cigarettes and everything outside the front door of the, of the, of, of the church house and everything else. I'm like, what in the world? I got saved from all that. What in the world? What is this about? I, I just, I didn't like it. So I got out of it. I told the pastor, I don't want to do it. I told, I told the next pastor when I came to Rosemont, I told him the same thing. I ain't doing that program. Man, two months later, they started it. I was like, I didn't have nothing to do with it. I ain't doing that. But I found out why all these Baptists do that, because they don't believe in repentance. That's right. So when you believe Jack Heil's version of repentance, well, you need a reformer's unanimous. You need a lot more than that. Because they don't believe in repentance. Not a one of them do. 
They don't preach it. They don't believe it. They got their 12-step program, a discipleship program to run you through and buy all these books. And, oh, don't think these addicts don't have money. They got money. They can buy these books. Don't think they can't buy. Man, that dude was making a fortune on those books. Man, that stuff was expensive. I couldn't believe what, he was, what they were selling. Like, I ain't buying that book. I mean, I had a way better library anyway. I'm like, I don't need that book. I got a way better library than that. That was back when I first got saved. I was like, these books are way better. I was cutting my teeth on, on old Baptist preachers. Man, they don't know nothing about no reformers unanimous. Reformers unanimous. They're like, you better get saved or you're going to hell. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I got saved under. Old man pointing his bony finger at me out there. You better get saved, boy. You're going to hell. Well, no, 12-step program is like, you're going to go to hell, boy. You better get saved. You are in trouble with God. Right? It wasn't like, okay, we're going to run you. And then at like the fifth lesson, they're supposed to get saved or something. I'm like, really? I just, this stuff was too much for me. I'm like, I, it was just AA reject stuff is all it was. I'm like, no, thanks. It's not for me. I, I, but see, I always rejected all that stuff because I, I never, I never felt, I never agreed with it. It just bothered me. I hated it. All right, I got to move. <sighs> that, I wasn't planning on talking about reformers unanimous either. Right, exactly. Like that, just, you get regenerated, you get saved, and then your life changes. Yes, you need discipled. Of course you do. But that, but you don't, you, you get, dis, you know how you get discipled? Right here. That's right. This is how you get discipled. Right. You learn, you grow, you have the scriptures preached to you. Right? You're around other brethren that are going the same way. You're watching their testimony and their examples. That's how other people say, oh, you need a book for disciples. I got one. It's right here. Amen. Show up to church and be faithful to God and listen to what's preached to you and believe that God puts you where he wants you. Amen. And guess what? You'll grow. After all, that's how Carrie was discipled. She got saved two months after she was here and she's been here 17 years. Right? That's how she got discipled. That's how I got discipled. Right? This is, you're going to grow and you're going to learn by what you're doing right now. Part of it, and serving the Lord and being faithful to God and growing. You know, no, I need this structured program. You have it. It's called the local New Testament church. You're in it. And by the way, let me just say this. Kids don't know what they need. So don't tell other people you know what you need when you're a baby Christian. You don't know what you need. <laughs> you need to learn. You need to grow. You need guidance. Amen. And just like babies, you need to eat what's given to you because you don't know what to eat. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble eating things you shouldn't. Right? Just like if we're not watching a little baby on the ground, right? She's going to pick up something and... Pop that right in her, I mean fast. Just turn. Whew. Ah, That's right, Paisley said the other day, she said there was this big old bug on the ground. <laughs> and she said, she said that girl grabbed that like Alice Cooper and bit the head right off of it. <laughs> she didn't say Alice Cooper, she don't even know who that is. But <laughs> that, that, I thought that. <laughs> Just bit that head right off of that. She was like, I saw half of the bug on her hand. Half of it was being chewed in her mouth. And I tried not to vomit. You did it. You didn't vomit. 
You did it. See, baby. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. I'll pay you later for that. That was good. That was good stuff. That, that, the other version of that word, though, is tendency to excite lust and promote irregular indulgences. That word is used six times in your Bible. Galatians 5, 9, in the works of the flesh. So Jesus talked about it in Mark, and then Paul reiterates it in Galatians. So nothing's changed about the human heart. You see that. It's the same. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is explaining that those people that are given over to those things, they're not Christians and they're not saved. They need to be saved. He also tells us in verse 20 that you have not so learned Christ. 1 Peter 4, 3, For the times past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Jude says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. We see that now. They, call, they say they preach the grace of God. They don't preach repentance. A lot. Now, there are people that get saved in all those churches like that. Um, I don't care what church you went to like that, those Baptist churches. I, I, I got saved in a one, two, three, repeat after me church. I got saved. The Lord changed my life. He saved my soul. God will save those people because the gospel is what saves, not the correctness of the preacher that's preaching it, not the perfection of any man, right? It's the gospel that saves. When the gospel hits home in the heart and the man comes in repentance and faith, he's born again by the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter what error that so-and-so had when it comes to that. It's God that saves. It's Jesus that saves, right? So that doesn't, we don't, we don't tell people they're not saved if they pray to prayer because that's not true. We don't know that. You couldn't make that assumption. What I do tell them is, is there better be evidence of that after you're, you've made that profession. You better be walking in the fear of the Lord. There better be fruit from that. If there isn't, you should be concerned. Amen. There should be some concern there. And find out why. I have found that people have come to this church and gotten saved later. And the reason they got saved is because they never had anybody preach the gospel straight to them. They never knew that they were to repent and believe the gospel. They, they didn't know that, right? Or they didn't understand it at the time. But that's not everybody. So there's, there's, but it's important that, that there are men that turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness, an excuse for excess of lust and everything else, and say, well, we're saved. Uh -huh. Really? I'd be a little concerned about that. Howbeit, those men that live like that are never concerned for their souls. They just don't care, right? They, they, you, you talk to them, they're like, no, I'm fine. They don't doubt anything. Vain confidence, right? Scary, ain't it? First Thessalonians 4, 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That word concupiscence, it means to covet or lust after, or to desire to covet, lust, unlawful or irregular desire of sexual pleasure. 
in a more general sense, the coveting of carnal things or an irregular appetite for worldly good, inclination for unlawful enjoyments, driven by things that are wicked that God's, or lusting after worldly things. Any irregular appetite for worldly good. Maybe, maybe you're not, and by the way, he's, not, he's talking to save people. He's not talking to lost people when he, when he warns them about evil concupiscence. What he's warning them about, that the lust of concupiscence, he's warning you, don't lust after the world's things. Don't lust after their life. Don't lust after what they do. Don't, don't desire what they do. That's an inordinate affection. It's out of order. That's what that means, inordinate. It's not ordered by God. It's out of order. It's wrong to lust after that. That's what he's explaining. Colossians 3, 5, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, he's talking about the Gentiles. He's, he's saying, you have been saved. Now you don't live like that. You're not a Gentile now. You're in the church of God. Now you're a child of God. You ought to walk like it now. For which, sake, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. See the difference? By the way, he's not even saying that it's not possible for you to fall. We already know that it's possible for, you to get in, for us to get into sin or us to fail, right? We know it's possible for us to sin, and we have to get right with God. What he's saying is, is that you don't live in them. Do you see what he's explaining there? Let me read that to you again. For, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. It was your life. Sinners only do, they, they sin because that's all they can do. That's their profession. Our profession is to live for Christ. And when we sin, we confess our sin and we get it right with God. But it is not our, it is not our profession or way of life to sin. We don't live in them and walk in them and, and revel in them and enjoy them and stay in them. That's the difference. That's what Paul is explaining. Matthew 20, 19, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. The third day shall rise again. Gentiles in the flesh, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Gentiles are not a part of Israel. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself at Israel for his peculiar treasure. It's not us. That's okay, though. We have all kinds of precious promises given to us. Amen. It says here in the scriptures, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9. Who are uh, Romans chapter 9, verse number. By the way, some people say, well, well, okay, what about Pauline epistles and everything? Well, what about it? I wish people would really listen to Paul when it comes to Israel. They really don't. They ignore him. They like ignoring Paul. The women get mad at Paul. They want to ignore what he said about women, which is the same thing Jesus said, by the way, which is the same thing that was said in the Old Testament, which is the same thing that was said under the law, because he says that. It's the same thing. Nothing's changed. But they don't want to, oh, Paul made everything different, or, or we just don't want to talk about Paul. We don't like that Paul guy. I know. Nobody did. They weren't very nice to Paul, were they? Stoned him, tried to kill him, beat him. Whooped him, tried to drown him, stripped him naked, threw him in the water. 
a lot of mean stuff to Paul. Right? But what did Paul say about, about Israel? Romans 9, 4 through 5. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. See, Paul's making the distinction. I don't know how these guys don't do it. I do know why, they're, they're, because Rome hates Israel. And you, you just have to understand that. And the theology that is pushed by these replacement theologians, it comes from Rome. I'm telling you, when you, you'll understand a lot more when we get into the Colosseum, when you watch the, the, the documentary on the Colosseum, and you understand what Rome did to Israel, and that it was all foretold about, Jesus said it was going to happen, and you get the animosity that is there, and just the absolute hatred that is there for the Jews. They still hate the Jews now, because the Pope wants that temple in Jerusalem. It, and that's where all that theology comes from, all of it. It is very dangerous theology. Very dangerous. We are also called the uncircumcised. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the, uncircum the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That is, they were by way of reproach and contempt called uncircumcised. See, when the Jews saw the Christians, or when the Jews saw the Gentiles, they called them uncircumcised. And they kind of mocked them, okay? Man, I'm thinking about stopping right here, too. Let's see, because I don't know if I'm going to get through this. Let's see. Nope. Nope. Not gonna. Okay. Well, we got through Gentiles. We'll stop there, and that's okay. Uh, I, I'm doing that on purpose because I want to pick up. We're going to talk about what that means, the uncircumcised. And I'm going to tell you the story and show you through. The, we'll, we'll review a little bit of what we learned in the book of Acts, the history and the timeline of what took place. And you have to really, I want you to have the right mindset to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here when he's describing us as the uncircumcised. Okay, it, because... It, I, I want to give you an idea of the absolute battle and war that was going on there. And it takes a lot of scriptures to do that, and I probably got about 40 of them in there. So I'll read those to you next week, and we'll go through that. But needless to say, what he called us was Gentiles in the flesh, right? And he's explaining the lost heathen works of the Gentiles. When the Jews looked at the Gentiles, they looked at them as Goya. They were dogs, because they literally ran around, fornicated like a bunch of dogs, acted like a bunch of heathens, didn't worship the one true God, ignored the law of God. They didn't have the law of God, so they were heathens. So you've got to, I'll set this up for you and then we'll go here. I want you to think about this for next week. So here you have, here you have Paul preaching. Jews get saved by the grace of God. Gentiles get saved by the grace of God. Well, all of a sudden, the Jews that are saved look over, and many priests that were obedient to the faith, the Bible says, they get saved. And they look over at those Gentiles, wiping that pork off their face. Right? And, and not knowing they're not circumcised, right? And knowing that they don't follow the law, and knowing all those other things, and they're looking at them like... Those guys are a bunch of heathens. 
I don't want to go to church with those guys. Look how they live. And they weren't living sinfully. Well, maybe some of them were because they had to be called out on fornication, right? Because Paul was very clear because fornication is offensive to God, number one. Number two, but, but, he, but he looked at them and he was like, they, they were like, I don't, we don't want to. Those people are heathens. But they just got saved and they don't know how to live, right? So they come into the church and they don't know how to live. And then Paul's got to be like, okay, now I got to teach you. You were Gentiles in the flesh. Right? You were filled with the spirit of disobedience. You were all these things. But now you're not. That was a lesson for the Jews to understand that they're not like that anymore. Right? So there's a lot that goes into that to set the understanding up of what Paul... Remember, because what, what is Paul's goal? Paul's goal is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Right? That, they, that, that that local church should be one in all agreement in one accord, right? In the book of Acts, one accord, one accord, one accord, one accord, right? In the, in the church of Ephesus, what does he want from them? To all be unified, to walk in this. He's not talking about unified with everybody in the whole world. He's saying that church, the church of Ephesus, that they would all be unified, that they would all speak the same thing, that, they, that their families would be governed right. So he instructs them. Remember, we're just in Ephesians 2. We haven't even got to Ephesians 4 when he talks about the purpose of the church. He hasn't even gotten there. We're, we're, he hasn't even gotten that far to teach them yet, right? Uh, that, that he's going to teach them the purpose of the church, what God expects from them, what they're supposed to be, why he equipped it with offices, and why he did what he did. And then the five, he's going to talk about the family. And he's like, you got to know what the family is. The, the relationship of the husband and wife is a picture of the church because the Gentiles don't know what a good marriage is. They've never seen one before. They're kind of like Americans today. They don't know what a good marriage is. They've never seen one before. Right? Most of them don't know. Look at the divorce rate in America. Look at the divorce rate among evangelicals, so-called. It's horrible, right? So they don't, they don't know what a good marriage is. They don't, so he, what's he have to do? He literally is instructing them on what a marriage is. Don't you get it? Like, if you read Ephesians with that mindset, you'll be like, wow, he starts with the simplest thing, and he shows them, oh, that's a picture of the church, and you can't be acting that way. You can't treat your wife that way, and you can't treat your husband that way. And this is what God expects from you. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he says, all of this because you've got an enemy. And you better put your armor on because you are at war. And he's, the, he's talking about individually, then he's talking about the church. If you're going to go do battle in this world against Satan's kingdom, you, you as a church need to be unified and get your armor on and get out and fight. That's how he finishes it with Ephesians 6. That's, that's, so that's, that's where we're leading up to. It's powerful. It really is. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for changing us from being those Gentile dogs, wicked, dead in trespasses and sins, by faith in Christ to be children of the Most High. Lord, help us to walk worthy of what you've called us to do. Lord, bless our church. Give us all safety. Help us to return safely again on Sunday. Bless this weekend. Help us to... Uh, have safety in all that we do out there, Lord, and the, the work that we do for you. And, and Lord, keep the men safe and the women safe as they travel up and down the roads and uh, do their jobs and, and work and take care of their families and everything else. Lord, please just bless your people. Help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.